Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to FML Talk, all of my beautiful freaking people. I am so excited to share this guest and this episode with you today. It is a wild story. If you thought mine was a shit show, I mean, it doesn't even come close to what Tina Swithin has dealt with. Um, She is an author, an advocate, and just an all-around really beautiful human being. And I am so excited for you to hear this crazy journey that she has been on. So sit back, grab a drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not chapter 6 <gasps> He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. So we all know that I am no stranger to divorce, uh, but thankfully I did not ever have to go to court for my divorce. I never had to go in, stand in front of a judge, plead any cases, go in and be in person with lawyers and sit across from my ex-narcissist. Unfortunately for Tina, that was so not the case. what this woman has endured, it just heartbreaking. Um, and I'm so grateful that during my divorce, I never had to go in and and have that anxiety that court brings and just all the bullshit drama and emotions that come with going through that process. She is not only the author of Divorcing a Narcissist series, but she's also a divorce consultant and a strategy partner and a family court advocate. She knows her way around a courtroom. And to see where her story began and how it ended up is just really incredible and shocking is like the best word that comes to mind. Um, But what was so interesting about how all this happened, we were set to record and something had suddenly come up in my schedule that made us push back a week. And then during that week, something in her life that had been a long time coming and many, many years in the legal system coming finally happened on a national news level. And this was the first podcast that she sat down to record after that news broke and after her story finally so rightfully so got the completion that it deserved. Um, So buckle up, you guys, because you think you're you're going to court to divorce a narcissist and we end up in a whole fucking different shit show. It is wild. So without further ado, 
Here is Tina. Tina Swithin, welcome to FML Talk. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I was listening to some of your podcasts and I'm like, why have our paths not crossed before this? I, I um, agree. And I want to be your friend. <laughs> Yay. Oh, I love that. Um, so I'm so excited to dig into some of the stuff that I know you have gone through in your life, um, even quite recently. But why don't you take everybody back and kind of give us just a little overview on what you do and and your story? Sure. So back in 2008, I was married. I had two little girls. I lived in an amazing home, gated community, fancy cars, you know, really actively involved in my business community. I was a business owner and my whole world came crashing down. Uh, I found out that my husband at the time had a major spending addiction. I know that yours, it was infidelity. Mine was infidelity of a different type to the tune of $1.6 million. We were in debt. Wow. So IRS comes in. Basically, he had hid. He had this entire life that I didn't know about. And so everything crashed. And uh, I found myself sitting on a therapist's couch trying to understand my life, what was happening. I'm a fixer. So I wanted to know, you know, how do I fix this? And she walked across the room, brought back the DSM-5 and said, can't diagnose him, but this is not fixable. He sounds very much like a narcissist. I read the description naively was very optimistic and excited that if I had a label for it, now what do we do? How do do we solve this? And she basically said, pack your stuff and go or accept that this is your life. And man, what a bomb on top of everything else. And I lasted uh, probably about eight months after that, trying to make things work, going to marital therapy, counseling. And uh, next thing I know, I'm basically penniless. <laughs> I had $200 to my name. Women had to drive my daughters to the women's shelter uh, where oh I had God. volunteered for many years. And a couple of the darkest days of my entire life. Um, What I didn't realize that, you know, as hard as it is being married to a narcissist, going up against them in family court, especially with children, is conflict that I did not even know existed. And I quickly discovered that the court system is very ill-equipped to, you know, they, they've they, you know, parental rights carry more weight than a child's right to be safe. Um, Because of the financial abuse I had suffered, I had to represent myself up against him and his attorneys, um, multiple different attorneys over the years. And it turned, I mean, it 
completely turned my life upside down. I lost my home, my cars. Um, I was walking into car dealerships. I, I cringe to think back. I was walking into car dealerships and because I knew a lot of the owners or managers and I was basically asking them, just give me a car and here's my wedding ring. Can we just trade? I don't even care what you give me. I was oh so desperate and... Um, went from having nannies to having to go to food pantries to feed my kids. Um, because, you know, what we know about narcissists, a lot of it is about control. And yeah. so, you know, and winning and hurting you. And um, when I made the decision to leave the relationship, that was a huge blow to his ego. And, um, so it, it started out quite a journey. Uh, it was about two years into my battle that, you know, I just felt like I was in the twilight zone in the family court system that ever, you know, logic is we protect kids and you truly feel like you've fallen down a rabbit hole and, you know, you're Alice in Wonderland and you're looking around going, none of this makes sense. It, it's illogical. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, um so this is, first of all, let's start with the fact that the IRS shows up and you find out that you're over a million dollars in debt. Um, what was that money being spent on? He, so we owned businesses together and I thought our businesses were very successful, mm -hmm. but he was supporting a lifestyle that we could not afford. We had a very nice home and a lot of things. He came home, you know, it felt like once a month with a brand new luxury car and mm. kept me out of everything. So I really just thought we were doing really, really well. That's not how I grew up. Um, I grew up with a single dad. We, you know, he was a blue collar worker. And so this was a whole new world to me. And right. whenever I would challenge him on, finances, he would just say, you know, this is not a world you're accustomed to. Mm. And, you know, and he would, you know, would make me think he was smarter than me. And I just had to turn everything over to him. So I just trusted. But what he was actually doing was moving money around um, to right, pay bills. Right. He would take out a loan that I didn't know about and then refinance the house. Everything was in his name. You know, even our home, while we were married, when he bought it, he bought it as a single man. So I, I truly had nothing. Nothing. Wow. Oh, my God. To, to find out that your entire life is going to so drastically change from what you've, you know, become accustomed to, especially with your two daughters. I, that in itself is like the, the floor getting pulled out from under you, um, to then have to go and take yourself to court and represent yourself in, you know, what is a long drawn out legal process. People that message me all the time saying like, you're so smart for leaving and it's so good that you got out. I didn't have to have kids to think about, you know what I mean? Which is, I, I thank God for, because I would never want to be tied to my ex-husband in that way. But it's a whole nother thing when you're trying to get away from a narcissist that you have children with and children to think about. 
Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash fmltalk50 and use code fmltalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code fmltalk50 at factormeals.com slash fmltalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So right. when you and got to court, what what was that process like for you to have to do that by yourself? Terrifying because, you know, if, if you're mad at me, I will stay awake tonight thinking about it. It will, you know, consume me because I hate conflict. And right. so to be thrust into, you know, the, the court system becomes their platform for abuse. And the abuse I suffered during the marriage was nothing compared to this new avenue of abuse that he had found. And I was so naive to think, you know, he's never participated in the kids' lives. He's never changed a diaper. I've handled everything, you know, in my marriage, my co-parent was our nanny. I would have mm-hmm. never asked him to take care of the girls if I had something to do. It, it would have never occurred to me as an option because right. unless there was a camera on or we were in public, he had nothing. He wanted nothing to do with parenting, and because parenting can be selfless and tedious and all of those things. And, and he was above that. So I was naive to think that I would just get the kids. (laughs) Why would he fight for the kids when he had never even made them a meal or changed a diaper? But what I quickly found out is that it's all about hurting you. And he knew that the number one way to hurt me was my daughters. And so Mm -hmm. he fought you know, he didn't just fight for 50-50 custody. He wanted to take my daughters from me completely because he knew that was the ultimate pain that he could inflict on me. And what grounds did he have when you guys went to court? What was he saying that justified, that he thought justified taking the kids 100% of the time? You know, in the beginning, it started with him wanting 50-50. And, and then, you know, I was saying, it's not even realistic. He travels, he, 
he lives four hours away. He had just moved up to the Bay Area. And I was, how does somebody have 50-50 custody from four hours away? And so it started out with he wanted joint. And then when I fought him on that and the court started to see through him and and didn't give him 50%, then it became all out war. And he really never had any grounds for, um, for trying to remove custody, you know, there there is nothing he's been ever ever been able to say about me as a mom, as a person. Um, but you know, I feel that his need to win overrode logic to where right. you know, there were times where he would keep the mask on super tight, and then other times where his need to hurt me was so extreme that logic was right out the window. And I remember watching him in court, and I'm so good at reading people and, you know, paying attention to social cues. And I remember watching the judge at several times, several points, and just thinking, looking at him and going, stop talking, like you're making the judge mad. But then I'd go, well, no, let him, <laughs> let right, him right. mean. But it was that fixer in me going, you know, wanting to to make everything better. Um, it, it, it was just, and, and so his mom became, you know, I think she's a really unhealthy person in the family. And I find that when I help a lot of women in this category, there's usually a lot of dysfunction within the family and enabling mother. And I think it really became about pleasing her mm. and wanting to take the girls so that his mom could raise my daughters. Um, so it, it went on, I mean, 2012, we were in court 13 times just that year alone. It oh was, my God. I, I was working full-time, full-time mom, and then trying to protect my kids in court. And, um, I definitely identify with, you know, my my ex-husband 100% had an enabling mother. So I think that is a common thread that a lot of people see in narcissists, uh, that they, it, it, it comes from somewhere. It didn't just like, you know, be bred out of, out of nothing. Um, when you were in court with him, what, where were your daughters at the time? Uh, preschool. Um school during the day but they were were they were they going back and forth between the two households so it started out at about i would say 80 20 was our custody split and i mean it was a red flag to the court that i filed from the women's shelter i, I still right. remember you know trying to do my court paperwork with my laptop propped in the window of the women's shelter trying to tap into someone else's internet at a neighboring house i mean it was just the most chaotic, horrible time in my life. And so we were, it, it fluctuated um, depending on what was going on. He put my kids in a lot of really dangerous situations. Um, they almost drowned in a pool on one time. So there were certain times he'd go to, they would give him supervised visits and then they would just reinstate all of his time again, completely unsupervised. There was no, I used to describe it as walking in and it's like they flip a coin and decide what happens to your kids that day. Jesus. 
And it, even there would even be times I'd walk into court and I'd get to know my judge so well that I would be watching him preside and, and rule on other cases. And I would think, oh, my God, he's in such a bad mood today. I don't want him ruling on my kids. And and so I would ask for a continuance um, so we could come back on another day when he was in a better mood. I mean, it's just it's a, a world that I don't wish on anyone. It's a very broken system. Yeah. And how long did the entire process take for you? Well, so going back, it was about two years into it when I just said, you know, this, I, I felt like I was the only person in the world going through this. I didn't know that this issue existed anywhere else. There was nothing back then on the internet about narcissism. I started a blog called One Mom's Battle just as a yeah. way to... Um, help me process and navigate and make sense. And that kind of blew up. And, and I figured there were people, I discovered there were people all over the world going through these issues. And so my court battle was very intense from 2009 until 2014. And that's when the court finally said no more and protected my kids and um, said no more contact. It was in 2019 when we went back and terminated his parental rights, which is really hard to do in California. So, And what was the grounds for that? Like what, what made the court decide that that was something they were going to do? Because that is very difficult to get, get approved. So he had no contact with them since 2014, and I was very strategic in not holding him accountable for child support. And so mm. he was still on deck to pay child support, but he wasn't paying it. And he's, you know, jet setting all over the world, still living this amazing life. And uh, even on the weeks that I needed that money so badly, I never pushed it because I knew eventually that would be my leverage. And so his arrears balance grew to about $100,000. Oh and finally, and it affected him. That was the that was the kicker is that they took his passport and he could no longer travel. And so we were able with an attorney we were able to say, listen, he hasn't seen the kids in years. Um, we meet all of the criteria in the state of California to terminate parental rights. It has to be a year of no contact. Um, mm -hmm. Plus the arrears balance, I was able to say, I will forgive every penny of it if you terminate, if you agree to terminate parental rights. So we were able to do that, thankfully. Unreal. And the no contact that he had had for a year, was that court ordered or he just hadn't contacted the kids? That was court ordered. So in 2013, we went through a really intense child custody evaluation, which ended up lasting, I believe, about eight months. And they go deep. <laughs> they interview anybody and everybody. And the evaluator, I lucked out. He was an earth angel. And he really, really understood what I was up against. And he recommended professionally supervised visits permanently. And mm -hmm. the narcissist ego can't handle that. Um, yeah. And so he disappeared for over a year after that court order. And then when he tried to come back in my daughter's lives, it was so, oh, and you'll love this one. Um, after 
15 months of not seeing my daughters, he wanted to come back and exercise his first supervised visit on my 40th birthday. Of course he did. Of course. <laughs> but him reentering their lives, you know, we had finally had peace for 15 yeah. months and they were doing so well and it traumatized them. They wanted I, nothing I to do with him. And how old were they at the time? Um, six and eight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. That must've been so tough. Seven and nine, somewhere in there. And, um, so I filed with the court again and I, you know, I just said their therapists will go to bat for us. Um, this is, has turned their lives upside down for him to just disappear and reenter. And I remember the day that day in court and the judge looked at us and I had had my script ready about, you know, I, I want them to know their dad. You know, I know the family court lingo at this point, but I want it to be a slow process for him to come back into their lives. We need to do it at their pace. And the judge looked at me and said, why are we letting this guy back in their lives at all? This guy's a sociopath. And I completely rewrote the script in my head. And I said, Your Honor, you're right. I don't know why we're pushing these little girls. I mean, it's like finally the judge steps in and does his job. Okay, so the judge finally steps in. He terminates the parental rights. And when was it that everything with the brother-in-law started coming to light? So my ex-husband's brother was the one of the biggest um, parts of our entire custody battle. When my ex-husband and I were married, we had decided that his brother would never be around our kids. Um, he was oh, he decided that with you. Yeah. In fact, he had, thank God, he had even put it in writing to his mom at one point during our marriage that we want, we don't want our children around him at all. And so I had that to show we were in agreement on this, but true to narcissists and sociopaths, literally the week we separated, the first thing he did was take my daughters around his brother. Because again, he knew that was the way to hurt me. And my youngest daughter was two at the time, and she didn't even know that she had an uncle. We had completely sheltered them from him. And so it, you know, that became one of the focal points of my entire battle was trying to keep them away from him. And the court originally, you know, it was very restricted. He could only see them four times a year. Um, And I wasn't up against just my husband. It was literally his whole family. It was me against his family. And, and, and the court over the years, his mom got involved. His mom would write declarations. She would meet with our custody evaluator. She would meet with minors counsel and talk about how wonderful her family was, how great this brother was. And it, it was just, you know, you end up so desperate that you end up presenting like your. Yeah you know, unstable, you know, I was just operating this fight or flight mode and trauma and desperation. And, you know, so over time, the court just kept letting him have more and more access. And thank you to the brother. Okay, so before we get into the detail, like, why don't you tell everybody who, who the brother is and what he why you needed to keep your girls away from him? 
So when I first met this family, they presented as the all-American, you know, parents have been married 30 years, four boys, Catholic family. They were both in education. They had started the local Catholic school. My husband was second in line in four boys, and his older brother was racist, homophobic, um, just a really unstable, scary person. He was a contractor, um, but he had graduated ASB president of the Catholic school. He was very well liked by a lot of people, super fun party guy. Over the years, I just saw so many things that terrified me. So by the by the time we had kids, we made this decision that no, we'll we'll keep him away from them. And you know, <laughs> their family is really well known in my area, used to be very liked. And so this was an ongoing issue. Um is that was our fight. I had a reporter look at my case years ago and he said, "You know this brother was the main focal point. I said, yeah, I know. I yeah. knew, you know, he was worse than I ever imagined. Um, two years after the courts ceased all contact between my um, ex-husband and my daughter. So it was 2014. Two years after that, I got a call. I remarried. My husband called me one day and he said, what is your ex-brother-in-law's middle name? And I said, Robert, why? And he said, Tina, he was just arrested for child molestation. Mm. I barely remember the rest of that day. Um, I was unfortunately in public when I got that call. I had to sit down on a bench. I don't remember driving home. It was my worst nightmare. And um, to the point where when it was 100 degrees and I had to drop my kids off at their house, I put my kids in long pants. I was so worried. I didn't have any solid proof, any legal evidence, but I was so worried about members of their family that I did everything I could to protect my kids. Yeah. And so when I found out he had been arrested in the act of molesting a little girl um, by one of his neighbors, over the next month, it unfolded more and more um, to the point where he was um, labeled as the worst child predator in the history of San Luis Obispo County. Um, he had so much child, so many child sex abuse images and videos that he had personally created for terabytes oh that. God. Our DA's office had to purchase new computer equipment to be able to take in that amount of data from the Department of Justice. Unreal. Yeah. I mean, I and to and here you are having to drop your kids off to this person's family's home. His house. And, actually. and my husband his, lived with him. Oh, my God. And so did you bring that to the courts and bring that to their attention that that wasn't a safe environment for your kids? I mean, I can't I, imagine doing that. I begged, pleaded, cried. I remember our first custody evaluator. She sat me down and told me, I'm going to let 
your daughters be around him for four holidays a year, as long as your husband, your ex-husband and his mom are present. And I said, I started crying. I had to get up and go to the bathroom. I came back about five minutes later and I said, what if I refuse to agree? What if I won't? Yeah. And she said, well, the way it works, if you don't sign this, it's going to go in front of the court with my recommendation. The judge is going to do whatever I recommend anyway. And then you're going to get a bill anywhere between $3,000 and $5,000. Um, at the time, that's back when I was literally going to food pantries to feed my kids. $3,000 to me felt like the end of the world. And then to yeah. hear that the judge is going to order it anyway, I was basically forced to sign a paper saying that four, four days out of the year, they could be around him. And then minors counsel was appointed to investigate my allegations. Again, his, his name is very public. He just got um, convicted. Um, his name's Jason Robert Porter. And minors counsel was literally appointed to to investigate my concerns about this brother did nothing and after minors counsel was appointed then it just became i had to drop my kids off there every single visit and um yeah. It just seems like there's no need for the uncle to be present like i get the court ordering you know they have to see the father right or but like why the uncle who is being investigated for child abuse. That makes no sense to me. Well, at the time he wasn't being investigated. Um, his arrest didn't come until 2016. So a lot of it was my word against theirs. Right. I had Ugh. such, I was telling the court, he travels to Thailand to have inappropriate relationship relations with girls. He bought a bride from Thailand. He made out with a 14-year-old girl at a wedding as a 30-year-old man, and no one looked into it. No one would, they just kept forcing me to send my kids into this house. And so, and then at one point, they even ordered that I had to drop my kids off there. So I'm dry, I'm having to drive 40 minutes north of my house and literally turn my little girls over to these people who oh my are- God. You know, now, you know, it's it's not the way any mom ever wants to be validated. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, I mean, literally, it's, I un, it's unreal. So did you have a conversation? I mean, I know your girls were so young at the time, but did you have a conversation with them about, you know, about not people not touching their bodies or people not being inappropriate with them? What was that like? Literally every single drive up to their house, we talked about good touch, bad touch, about where your bathing suit areas are. I drilled it in my daughters. It, it became so important to me early on when I knew that the court system wasn't going to protect them to empower my kids on their own, um, to know what red flags are in people, to know what boundaries are. You know, I used to teach them that boundaries are emotional, they're psychological, they're physical, they're, you know, your heart has a boundary. And, and so empowering my kids to listen to their instincts and, and what red flags are, all of those things, it became 
trying to protect them from gaslighting. I used to right. do this um, game with them and, and it was called, I know my truth. And I would mm. tell them, you know, I love your red shirt. And they'll say, I know my truth, my shirt's green. And just constantly those things, because when you're, you know, first of all, so desperate for the court, and then you realize pretty quickly how broken that is. I, I can't imagine as a mother having to, being forced to drive your your babies into a dangerous situation like that. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. No, and it's so, you know, I get a lot of comments like, I wouldn't have done it. I would have gone into hiding. That's not as easy as people think. And I get that. Yeah. And had I had unlimited funds or resources, yeah, that would have, I would have left and I would have disappeared. Right. But I also know a lot of moms through my advocacy work who have taken that path. And then you lose your babies completely when you get it because yeah. it's not a matter of if, you know, it's when you're going to get caught and yeah. and then your children are now 100% in the hands of their abuser. And so, you know, yeah, but all those things do go through your mind. And believe me, I, I thought all of those options out because you are in such a desperate place. And, you know, I'll tell you the past as broken as the family court system is, I just went through the criminal justice system with this man. And it's been a five-year journey. He was arrested in 2016. He was just convicted last week of 52 counts of child sexual abuse, um, pornography. Uh, you know, he's he will never, the, the saving graces, he will never see the light of day. He'll yeah. never be eligible for parole. Um, we estimate he's probably going to get between 300 and 700 um, years in prison because of how horrific his abuse was to these. Yeah, I I read the what he was charged for and convicted of, and it's nauseating to say yeah. the very least. Um, and thank God. Victims you know and thank god that they're getting some type of justice because there's so many kids that go through things like this that don't um you know we had um Kelly Randis on the show a couple months ago who's the author of Spilled Milk um who went through child sexual abuse with her father and the the justice system is so broken for fighting for these victims um that I'm happy if nothing else that this person finally like got what he deserved right right what what was it like for you when you got the call that they were making a decision on all of that so i my my husband is a a saint he has been attending i i went to the original hearings um back in 2016 the preliminary hearings it mentally, you know, I consider myself to be a really resilient person. I truly ended up fetal position on my couch for three months after hearing the horrors of this case. And so my husband stepped in and he has attended every single hearing for five years. It has wow. consumed our lives in a lot of ways. Um, the trial just finished and my husband attended every day of that. He called me 
last week and basically said they just rested. They're going to have final arguments. Um, and I wanted to be there. That was the part I wanted to be there for final arguments for the verdict. Mm -hmm. And I was very, um, you know, I've never been a part of a criminal case before. I didn't realize that final arguments meant that they were going to basically lay out the entire case, the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, and rehash everything. I It's the first time, in, one of the first times in my life where I've ever said, you know, I... I feel like I disassociated. I feel mm. like I was not in my body as I was listening. You know, I felt things were echoing. It was just the most bizarre feeling. And then being so close to this predator, this, you know, person, um, it, one of the worst days of my life, um, just the reality that, you know, this is who I've been up against in this battle. You know, this is who I fought to protect my kids from. This is the person that the family court system deemed safe for my babies to yeah. be under the same roof with. And, um, you know, you go through so many emotions in a situation like that. And thankfully, you know, on that day, the judge said, you know, I want to think about this overnight. I want to review some more things and we'll come back tomorrow for the verdict. And so... We had that night. I left the court in such a fight or flight mode that I fell. I twisted my ankle. I'm a mess right now from it. Went back oh. the next day. And again, just, you know, you're you're waiting for them, the guilty, guilty, guilty. And it felt like it was take, I mean, it was probably only 10 minutes, but it felt like it was two hours. And when he started finally saying guilty, 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 um, 52 different times. I just put my head down and sobbed. I, um, yeah. Cause the I relief remember, of that, the I relief remember, of that must've been so huge. Huge. I, I, and I'm still processing it and, and still not completely absorbed it all yet. Um, I think a lot of my healing will come in my victim impact statement, which I'm working on right now for his sentencing. It, um, on January or June 28th, um, he will be sentenced and we'll know, you know, Unbelievable. Price, you know, he'll, he'll never, the one piece that I take with me is that he will never get out, you know, and yeah. he's going to die in prison. Yeah. Have you had any contact with your ex-husband since all this has happened? Um, can I drop an F-bomb? Oh, please. This is FML talk. <laughs> drop away. <laughs> so I haven't had any contact with my ex-husband in years. And on the day I was leaving court, I unblocked him from my phone. I basically, fuck you, fuck your mom, fuck all of you sociopathic people who fought to put my kids in the clutches of a pedophile. Fuck you. <laughs> And then yeah. I really blocked him. So I will never know what he, I don't care what he, yeah. there's nothing he could ever say. I don't, I don't want it, but I'll tell you, it was cheaper than a copay with my therapist. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you just have to like, let the anger out, especially when it's, it's so long running and so deep. Um, 
yeah, you just have to give yourself that moment, you know? Yeah. Um, so how has this entire, I mean, what has been years and years of a fight for you, how has this changed what you're now doing in your life and how you're helping other people? So in the middle of all of my battle and and trying to protect my kids, I started writing books. I wrote my first book back in 2011. It's called Divorcing a Narcissist, One Mom's Battle. And I've gone on to write five books total. I wrote a children's book. Um, I have this whole lemons to lemonade theme in life. And so I love that. So teaching kids, you know, no matter what you go through, because I went through a lot of abuse and dysfunction as a child. And I feel like, you know, we as a society now we're talking about these things and it's fantastic because before it was you felt, you know, different or, you know, now we're all talking about these issues and it's important. So I've written books. I um, am shifting gears right now to start doing family court advocacy and I want to get involved in legislative change and use my story to share that they need to believe survivors. Um, I also started a coach certification program to teach other people to become family court advocates and help others navigate child custody battles with high conflict narcissists, sociopaths, and uh, so I, I stay very busy. Um, I often say I'm the accidental author and family court. Yeah, it's not a path you choose, um, but I I believe my own story has purpose, and um, I've raised two amazing young ladies who are going to go out there and move mountains in their own ways. I love that against all fucking odds and no help from you know the ex husband or the court system. I mean. What a journey you have had. Um, like, you know, most people, they'll tell their story and there's certain shocking elements of it. I feel like from the moment you found out about the debt and the amount of debt up until last week when his brother was convicted. I mean, that's it's every step of the way has been an uphill jaw-dropping battle for you. What a fucking strong woman you are. Thank you. No, and when I left court last week, somebody said, you know, it's been five years coming. And I, I there was a part of me that wanted to scream, it's been 20 years coming. I have been yeah. fighting this family for half my life and um, I'm exhausted. I just, I look forward. I've, I've coined this summer is going to be our summer of healing. And um, Love that. we're done finally. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's time to to bury what has taken up so much of your life. And at some point, do you think, because I want to bring this up because we did an episode a while back on forgiveness um, and how it's so important because forgiveness is going to allow you to move through and be free. It's not about the other person being right or wrong. In this case, it's obviously they were so, so wrong. Um, but do you ever think you'll be able to get to a point of where you can forgive enough to just let go and so that you can move through and heal? So here's where I am with that. And what I share with people is that I have tremendous compassion for the five-year-old 
boy that my ex-husband was, the five-year-old boy that his brother was, because no one would choose these paths that they've mm-hmm. taken. And I have, so my in, healing or forgiveness is a hard word for me when it comes to them. Um, yeah. Because, you know, usually forgiveness, Forgiveness involves someone saying, you know, I've wronged you in some way. They're not capable of doing that. And so I have forgiven myself for the Mm. choices, for the red flags that I made or that I overlooked in the beginning that got me into this. And, you know, when I talk to survivors, I hear a lot of guilt and shame in their voices, in their stories, um, because they beat themselves up for, you know, what their kids have been through in the court system. And so I have 100% forgiven myself. um, And with them, it's compassion for who they Mm -hmm. once were. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful because I always say, hurt people hurt people. So there was something that happened to them that made whoever's hurting you hurt so badly that they needed to make you hurt and take it out on you. So at the very least, we can try and have compassion for the fact that that was such a great hurdle for them to need to hurt someone else um, and to let it go so that we can move forward with peace in our own lives. Because it really... It's about not letting our own energy be brought down. And I can't imagine having to, I I get it, the word forgiveness with either of those men, especially the brother, is like not even in the same sentence. But I'm happy to hear that you're going to have your summer of healing and that you and your girls are finally safe and can breathe. And he's going to jail. The parental rights have been diminished and like you can finally rebuild your family on a proper foundation that you all deserve. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm remarried to a wonderful man. They are out there and that, you know, it's, yes, uh, we're, we're so lucky because, you know, it's, I, I know when you've been through something like this, it can be scary to jump back in. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I try and tell people all the time there is hope. Um, <laughs> don't let all the uh, the narcissistic and you know horrible stories that we hear uh, diminish any of your hope because they are out there and they are wonderful. Um, and I think when I, just hearing the story about your current husband and how he went and showed up to every hearing so that he could be there in a way that you couldn't be there for yourself is really beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for all the work that you are now doing with with your books and your blog and and helping other women, you know, know that they're not alone and know that they have a place where they can get information and understand and learn about a lot of things that aren't taught until we hear them from other people sharing their stories. So can you tell everyone um, again the name of your book and where they can find your blog? Absolutely. Um, My books are all under the title of Divorcing a Narcissist. It's a whole series. They're on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, My blog is One Mom's Battle. And my coach training program is the High Conflict Divorce Coach Certification Program. Amazing. I love that. And where can they find you on social media? 
I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, our One Mom's Battle Facebook page has over 60,000 people on there, which tells what a big issue this is. And it's very much a community of survivors who are supporting each other in their custody issues. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much, Tina, for being here. This has been such an incredible episode and hearing your story. I know this was very fresh for you because the uh, conviction happened just last week. We actually rescheduled our podcast interview because of it. And I'm so happy that we did because I would not have been able to sleep as well if I heard this whole story and didn't have that resolution of him, you know, getting charged with what he deserves. So I'm, I'm glad that it ended up getting pushed for that specific reason. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me here today. You're so welcome. It's been really wonderful. I want to thank Tina for not only coming on and sharing her story, the, the last, you know, final completion of that and him finally getting convicted is, is so fresh. You know, it, it went down a week before we recorded that. So I really am honored that she was able to come on and share her story and, you know, speak on the fact that justice was, was finally served. And uh, I'm just sending you all the love, girl. You deserve this fucking beautiful new beginning. You and your beautiful girls. I'm, I'm so, so happy for you. Okay, it is about that time. We are going to jump into your FML stories. Here we go. Hey, Gabrielle, my name's Caitlin, and I'm from New York, and I'm here to tell my FML story. I found out about a month ago that the man I was dating for a year and a half was also dating three other women in Massachusetts at the same time. His name is Peter Mark Trask. I had been in an abusive relationship in the past, and prior to this knowledge, I thought this was the healthiest relationship I had ever been in. He was empathetic, charming, emotional. My family loved him. Everything a narcissist is before getting caught. When we first started dating, he told me his ex accused him of having child porn because she wanted him to stop working so much as a soccer coach. He said that she went to the extent of putting images on his computer, that he deleted them, and that charges were dropped. I believed him, and he told me he had documents he could show me, but I didn't think twice as I had been in an abusive relationship myself. I trusted him. I trusted him so much that he told me he got a dream job in Massachusetts, that he would make more money so that we could start our lives together. I wanted to support him and encouraged him to go. It was his dream job. Why not? I got my license in social work in Massachusetts and started looking at apartments. Fast forward to a month ago, I noticed on social media that he had a page for Private Pins, um, the company that he worked for, and a girl liked all of his pictures and had nothing to do with the company, he and he followed her as well. I added the girl as I had a gut feeling that something was off. That evening, she called me from his phone. He was at her house, and we found out that he had been dating her for a year. We then found out about another girl he had been dating for six months, and then another one he dated when he and I first met. He moved to Massachusetts because she had moved to Massachusetts and never actually had the job that he said he had. He is a felon in New York State, he took money from one of the girls to get his name and articles off Google. He would re-gift everything we gave him, so now I have a lot of the girls' stuff at my house. He jumped from house to house, not paying for anything. Come to find out the child porn stuff is true. Us girls are now in a group chat and support one another completely. 
These girls understand me better than some friends I've had my whole life. So just a heads up, ladies, the other women are not meant to be hated. Come together and support one another and empower one another. We have to stick together. Damn, girl. I think this is the first FML story where someone was just like, first, middle, last name. Thank you very much. So, um, Peter, man. Uh, every female listening to this podcast, um, put a fucking red flag up for that name. That is wild, um, to move an entire state and uproot your life to find out that he doesn't even have the fucking job he was moving there for a female. Um, and I fucking love that you guys are now in a group chat together. Um, big ups to you guys, women supporting women, because, it's never somebody's fucking fault when they get blindsided and have no idea that responsibility falls on the douchey fucking man on the other end of it or woman if it's that flipped of a situation. Um, more power to you, girl. Thank you for submitting that. Next week, you guys, um, it's been a little while since we've given you an episode that uh, had a little bit of tea in it. And uh, this is more like the whole fucking kettle. <laughs> um, Casey Campbell from Temptation Island is coming on to not only share about her narcissistic ex that famously dumped her on national television and I mean, not even dumped her, cheated on her, was just the worst of the fucking worst um, to witness while I was sitting there at my TV with my mouth open. Um, but interestingly enough, that gem of a human happens to uh, be Daniel's best friend. <laughs> so we are taking you back to drama land for a little bit, and I promise you it is a Fucking doozy. <laughs> As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. If you are not hanging out with us in the private Facebook group or getting all of the uncut bonus episodes, you can do that at patreon.com slash FML Talk. And until next week, I love you guys so much. Have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.